Good morning. It's good to see all of you here. We are grateful that you have chosen to come out on a uh, on a wet and rainy Sunday. And I was Ted mentioned earlier that this is the last Sunday of this calendar year. But then I had another brother over here this morning remind me that this is not only the last Sunday of this calendar year; it's the last Sunday of the 2010s of this decade. And so he said, I hope you've got a good sermon planned. <laughs> and I thought, well, I thought I did up to this point, but now I'm a little nervous about all of that. That's a lot of pressure. Uh, but we are glad that you are here today. If you've got your Bibles, and I hope that you do, take them out and turn with me again to the Gospel of Luke and to chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. I love the passage that we are going to read together this morning. And in our second service, in our 11 o'clock service, we're going to have a baby dedication in here for the Tarbucks who have their little son, Jet, who they are going to dedicate. And this passage, is, to me, is just such an appropriate passage on a, on a, a Sunday when, when we're going to dedicate a child. And I think you'll understand why in just a moment when we read it. In my opinion, there really isn't much more of a more beautiful passage in, in all of Holy Scripture, particularly set in and around the time of Christmas than, than this passage. Uh, it's a passage that's filled with exhilaration uh, and joy um, that comes from, from recognizing that the long-awaited promises of God have been fulfilled. And so in that regard, this, this, this passage really reminds us that God is a God who fulfills His promises. But at the same time, it's a passage that simultaneously evokes uh, sorrow, because it foretells of dark days that would come to pass in the life of this child. And then it is also a passage, though, that brims with hope because it tells not simply about the birth of the Christ child, the Messiah, but it also, more importantly, identifies the mission of the Christ child and the Messiah and why he would come. And in that regard, we get a full explanation of the gospel. And so, for those reasons alone, I find this passage to be just an absolutely wonderful one, uh, particularly at this time of the year. And so let's read it together. Beginning in Luke chapter 2, verse 21, hear these words. And when eight days were completed for the circumcision of the child, his name was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Now, when the days of her purification, according to the law of Moses, were completed, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So he came by the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the Christ child to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. 
And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign which will be spoken against. Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of God for the people of God. Let's pray together this morning. Our Father, we are grateful for your mercy and your love and your goodness to us. And we are grateful for this Christmas season in which we find ourselves still in the middle of celebrating the birth of our Savior. Lord, for many of us, we've had a wonderful week this past week celebrating with family and with friends and being able to enjoy one another's company. And Father, now we are anticipating the beginning of a new year and and in all that goes along with that, Lord, we still want to just concentrate our hearts and our attention and our thoughts upon you. And I pray that that would happen today. Help us to see you for who you truly are, to appreciate the the true joy of of the coming of our Messiah, but also prick our hearts and continue to help us to recognize the power of the gospel and how it works in our lives to bring about conviction of sin and righteousness and judgment to come and that Jesus Christ is our only hope. I pray that that would occur today so that you might be glorified and so that we might be lifted up in our faith. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. In the book of Galatians, chapter 4, the Apostle Paul tells us that in the fullness of time, or, or, or when time had fully come, that God sent forth his son, born of a woman, and born under the law. And the first four verses of the passage that I've read for you This morning really testified to the truthfulness of of that passage that Paul wrote. You see, according to Leviticus chapter 12, the law required that male children be circumcised on the eighth day after they were born. And as we read in verse 21, the first verse that I read for you this morning, that's exactly what happened to Jesus. And this most likely occurred in the city of Bethlehem where he was born. It happened just eight days after he had been born. But then in verse 22, we read that Joseph and Mary and Jesus had traveled outside of Bethlehem. In fact, they had traveled most likely to the temple or definitely to the temple there in Jerusalem. And there are two reasons that they would have gone to Jerusalem from Bethlehem. First, according to verse 22, the the time had come for Mary's ritualistic purification, which is also stipulated in Leviticus chapter 12. According to that passage, a woman was to wait 40 days after the birth of a son, and then she was to go and present herself to a priest in the temple. And in doing so, the law required that when she went, that she would present a lamb for a burnt offering, and then also a pigeon or a turtle dove for a sin offering. However, if she was too poor to be able to afford a a, a lamb, then she could go and present two pigeons or two turtle doves. And and that's exactly what we see occurring down in verse 24. It alerts us to the fact that when Jesus was born, he was not born into an upper-class family. He was not born even into a a middle-class family. Jesus was born into a very poor family. 
family with poor parents and he knew poverty and hardship from the very beginning because, as it says, his mother, when she went there, was only able to offer a pair of turtle doves or a pair of young pigeons. Now, the second reason that the young family would have traveled to the temple in Jerusalem is because they took Jesus there to present him to the Lord. And this, too, was part of God's law. God declares in his word in Exodus chapter 13, verse 2, he says, consecrate to me all the firstborn. Whatever opens the womb among the children of Israel, both of man and beast, it is mine. This was God's declaration. It belongs to me. And so when Mary and Joseph took Jesus there to the temple, they are, they are displaying the fact that they are devout Jews. They are, they, they are adhering to God's law. And we see that in Jesus' circumcision. We see it in their trip to Jerusalem, all of which sets the stage for what happens next. Because you see, according to verse 25, as the young family proceeded into the temple courts to keep the responsibilities required of them by the law, they meet this man named Simeon. And, and to be honest with you, when I thought about Simeon, I, I, I thought about and you're going to think I'm crazy, but I thought about the character on TV, Ernest T. Bass. <laughs> now, not for the same reason that you might think. Ernest T. Bass is one of those TV guys that I just loved growing up. And by the way, if you don't regularly on a good occasion watch some Andy Griffith, you should. Because it'll do your heart good just to watch a, a good TV show once in a while that's not filled with all the other stuff that's out there. Just... Just trust me on that. But if you've ever watched much Andy Griffith, you know Ernest T. Bass. Here's the interesting thing about Ernest T. Bass. You know how many episodes of the Andy Griffith show he was in? Five. You know how many Andy Griffith shows there were? 249 from 1960 to 1968. Ernest T. Bass was in five of them. He was in 2% of the total number of Andy Griffith shows. Now, the reason that I bring all that out is because that's not a lot. It's really just a bit part that he played in that entire TV series, and yet he played a part that many of us will always remember because those five episodes made a lasting imprint upon our memories. What I want you to know is that Simeon appears in verse 25 of Luke chapter 2, and he melts away after verse 35 of Luke chapter 2. And that's all we know about him. Everything we know about Simeon occurs in those 11 verses right there. We don't know anything about his life. We don't know, we don't know if, he, if he was a priest. Some suppose that he was. All of it's conjecture. We always believe that he's an old man. But even that is pure conjecture on our part. He simply appears on the stage of history as a bit player in the drama that surrounds the birth of Christ. <coughs> and after his part is done, he fades from the scene. But the part that he plays is so memorable and so awesome because he tells us so much about Jesus. Now, there are a few important things that, that Luke tells us about Simeon from what we read in verse 25. Simeon was a just man. He was a righteous man. He was a devout and sincere man. And furthermore, we know that he was a man who was waiting for the coming of Christ. He was a man who was waiting for the Lord's anointed, for the consolation of Israel. And we read that the Holy Spirit was upon him. 
So Simeon was a just and devout man who had been specially blessed to receive a special work of the Holy Spirit in his life. Now, verse 26 tells us even more about Simeon. Then there we read that God had promised by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Now, it's because of that verse that most of us believe that he was an older man. They speculate that he was elderly. Some even suggest that Simeon was in his 100s by the time that this was born. But again, that is purely conjecture, speculation. All Luke tells us is that God promised that Simeon would remain alive until he had seen with his own eyes the coming of Christ. And that is directly related to what Simeon had been, related, been waiting for. He had been waiting for the consolation of Israel. So the coming of the Christ was directly related and parallel to the consolation of Israel. Now, just a cursory reading of this text would, I believe, tend to give us the indication that he had been waiting a long time. I mean, it would indicate that he had been at the temple regularly. He'd been praying. He had been searching for the Lord's Christ to appear. The picture that we get really in our mind, the way that Luke tells it, we get this image that, that Simeon is growing older and older and he looks and he waits and he, he wonders and he, 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 he keeps going and thinking, is this the one that's coming? Every, every mother that brought a, a new baby into the temple, he's wondering, is this the one? Perhaps by the time we're introduced to him, maybe he is old. Maybe he's got an old gray beard. Maybe he's, his shoulders are stooped and maybe his hands are wrinkled in fact we may even become he, he may have even become almost like a permanent fixture there in the temple courts but year after excruciating year the answer that he continued to get from the Holy Spirit whenever a, a mother would bring a new baby into those temple courts was no it's not him keep waiting it's not him then in verse 27, we see that the Spirit led Simeon to the temple at just the right time for this divine appointment with Mary and with Joseph and with the Christ child. And the Spirit led him to approach this, what would have been a regular, ordinary-looking couple with an ordinary-looking baby. Nothing about this couple would have necessarily attracted any real attention. They were poor, obviously. And suddenly the Spirit must have whispered in Simeon's ear, this is the one. This is the one you've been waiting on. This is the one that I told you about. This is the one who will bring the consolation of Israel. And suddenly I can just, in my mind's eye, I can just see Simeon's heart just leaping within his chest. And I can just, I can see him thinking about that the long days of waiting are now over. The Lord's Christ was right there before him. And I don't know if anything like that's ever happened to you. The closest thing that in my mind that I can Imagine was with the birth of our four children. Watching all those months as, as that child just formed in, in, in Caroline's belly and, and we just began to prepare and wait, and it, particularly with Presley, because we didn't have any more at home. And, and you know, we just, we, we kept, I think the term is nesting. I don't know what we were doing, but we were doing all kinds of stuff, preparing for Presley. And we were waiting and waiting and waiting. And when we finally, when she finally gave birth to her, and we were able to lay our eyes on her. It was such an amazing experience. But even so, that was only after months of waiting. Simeon had likely been waiting years 
decades perhaps. No wonder his heart was filled with such exhilaration, with such joy. Now from what Luke tells us in verse 28, many have assumed that Simeon was a priest because he goes and he, he takes Jesus up into his arms. However, I believe it's just equally plausible that Simeon was just a man who day after day went to the temple courts and, and he asked the Lord to reveal to him who the Messiah would be. And, and on this day when the Lord did, he just walked right up to Mary and said, may I hold your child? Now, I don't know how many of you mamas out there would be all that willing to give up your brand new baby to some man that you'd never met before for him to hold. I don't know how often that has happened, but as strange as that may be, that's really not the strangest thing that's happened to Mary and Joseph around this whole birth thing, is it? I mean, after all, they've had angels come and reveal themselves to them independently. They've had shepherds who've traveled into their area to see this Christ child laying in a manger I think probably having an old man who just wanted to hold their child for a second is probably the least strange thing that has occurred to them so far. Luke tells us that Simeon, who had been waiting and waiting and waiting for the Messiah to come, he takes the baby up into his arms, and you just sense that he was overwhelmed and that a huge smile probably just burst across his face and tears probably welled up in his eyes as he stared into the face of that baby. And then we must not miss this. We must not miss that the coming of this Christ child had very important, specific implications for Simeon. You see, it meant that Simeon, because he now held this child and had seen this child with his own eyes, it meant that Simeon was ready and prepared to die. Now, if you knew that once you beheld something, once you saw something with your own eyes, if you knew that the beholding of that would now release you to the point where you could actually go ahead and pass away, my suggestion is that the majority of us would do whatever we could to keep ourselves from actually encountering that specific thing. We would want to, we would want to, to shield our eyes. We would want to look the other way. We would want to run the opposite direction because we would know that when we saw that, our time on earth would then be completed. My suggestion is the majority of us would look the other direction. Not so with Simeon. He was there every day looking for this child, and it seemed to him to be the greatest thing ever to finally be able to behold this child because then he says in verse 29, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people to Israel. Ray Pritchard notes that the word dismiss here is a military word used to describe a sentinel who has stood watch during the long hours of the night. And now at last the sun has come up over the eastern horizon and he knows that his work is done. And so he goes to his commanding officer requesting to be dismissed. And once he is dismissed, he goes back to his barracks where he's able to go to sleep. And that's the way that Simeon feels. Because the long wait of the dark night is now over. And all the years of anticipating what God was going to do is now finished. And, and he has fulfilled his promises. And now like a, a sentry whose duty is finished, 
Simeon has seen personally and held the Lord's Christ and he's able to request to be dismissed. What an awesome thought to consider it from that perspective. But here's what you and I need to know. As beautiful as this story is, and, 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 and it is beautiful. It's interesting. It's thought-provoking. But it's not given to us to draw our attention to Simeon. Remember, remember, he's, he's a bit part player in this drama. Rather, this passage is here, is here for us to hear Simeon's words. Really, Simeon's song, as it has been referred to. And in that song, we are told some very important things about Jesus. And that's what I want us to conclude focusing on this morning. The important things that Simeon tells us about Jesus, the first one is simply this. Jesus Christ is the long-awaited Messiah, the glory of Israel. He's the long-awaited Messiah, and he's the glory of Israel. Notice that in his song, Simeon calls this baby the glory of your people, Israel. Down in verse 32. This is the way he describes the one that he had been praying for and longing to see. And to call Jesus the glory of Israel really, really reminds us of what God promised Abraham. God promised Abraham, look, I will make your name great. And I will make of you a great nation. And through you, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Not only that, but it it not only reminds us of of that promise, but it reminds us of the promise that God had given to David. He told David that he would have a son who would reign on his throne forever. God further promised through the prophet Isaiah that, that a son would be born of a virgin and he would be Emmanuel. He would be God with us. And his name would be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And that of the increase of his government and of his peace, there would be no end. In other words, this baby that Simeon held in his arms was the son of Abraham. He was the son of David. He was the promised Jewish Messiah whose kingdom would extend to the far reaches of the world. And, who would never, and whose kingdom would never come to an end. And so no wonder when he, when he looks at him and when he sings this song, he sings of him that he is the glory of Israel. But I want you to notice not only, not only is that Christ would be the glory of his own people Israel, but then he says down in verse 31 that he would also be the light of revelation to, of God to all people. In other words, Simeon lets it be known that this child is not just for Israel, but rather he came to shine his light throughout the world and penetrate the dark world with the good news of the gospel. Every tribe, every kindred, every tongue. And that's the next point that I want you to see on your outline. You see, the second thing that we note about Jesus from this song of Simeon is that he is the Savior. He is the light of revelation to the whole world. If if you've ever taken a pebble or a rock and you've thrown it into a pool of water, you will see that when that rock hits the water, it creates a, a, a ripple effect that just continues to to move out across the the, the face of that water. That's exactly what Simeon is describing here. Philip Graham Rackin has, has written, Simeon makes it clear that the baby in his arms was not only for him to see or not only just for the Jews to see, but was for everyone to see. In other words, the effect this child would have 
would continue to expand and would have global impact. And what that means is that the salvation that God provided in Jesus is for the whole world. I like, again, how Pritchard has put it. He says, Jesus is a savior for the whole world, for rich, for poor, for young, for old, for white, for black, for Jew, for Gentile. And he goes on and he says this, that means there is hope for you at Christmas time. If, if you are lonely this year, Simeon wants you to know that you're included in the ones that Jesus came to reach. If your family has rejected you, Simeon meant to include you. If you feel forgotten and depressed and discouraged and down on your luck, be of good cheer because Christmas is for you. Whatever sins are holding you back, Christmas means that you could be forgiven because Jesus came for you. He is the Savior. He is, he is the light of revelation to the whole world. And friends, that's exactly why we embrace and why we support evangelistic outreach and mission ministries around the world. It's why we go and we, we do what we do in, in the country of Guatemala. It is why we go and do what we do in the country of Kenya. It is why we, we continue, even, even with those envelopes that are in the back of the seats in front of you that are addressed for the Lottie Moon Christmas offering, it's why we implore people to give for those things because we believe that the gospel message is not just for us, but the gospel message is to penetrate and go to all the corners of the, of the world and that we want to help support that in every single way. You see, this, this, this song sung about Jesus was sung about him three decades before he ever gave the Great Commission. And it tells us that the gospel has global implications and that Jesus is God's light to the nations. The Bible is clear. The whole world is covered in darkness because of sin. But Jesus has come to dispel that darkness by being the light of the world and that he shines his light into every dim corner and to every darkened heart. And that is why we do what we do. That is why we support the missions that we support. Because Jesus is the Savior. He's the light of revelation to the whole world. That is who Jesus is. He is the long-awaited Messiah, the glory of Israel, and he is the Savior, the light of revelation to the whole world. Now, in some respects, Simeon's song could have just ended right there and it would have been great. We could have all just held hands together and we could have sung Kumbaya and we could have walked out and it would have been wonderful. And it doesn't end there. There's another verse. In fact, according to verse 33, Luke tells us that Mary and Joseph marveled at all the things that that old man had said to them. But then, then this other verse comes about. Simeon focuses his attention directly upon Mary and he says, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and the rising of many in Israel and for a sign which will be spoken against. Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Have you ever been around that special person who has the ability and the distinct gift of being able to take a happy and joyous occasion and with only a few words be able to turn that into a sad moment indeed. Have you ever been around those people? Do you like to just run away from them the way that I do? Um, 
Simeon seemingly takes what would have otherwise been a very festive and joyous occasion centered around the fact that the Messiah, the glory of Israel, had, had come to provide salvation to all people. And he changes the mood um, by offering this first hint of the great suffering that Jesus would endure to bring about that salvation that he came to, to offer. Simeon looks directly into Mary's eyes and, and no doubt with a very heavy heart, effectively he tells her, your son is special. He is the only hope of salvation for the world. But he will be a sign that is opposed. He will be the stone that the builders reject. Many will stumble over him. They will despise him. They will reject him. They will take their stand against him. And based upon what Simeon says, we understand the last point that I have for you on your outline. The last thing we learn about Jesus from what Simeon tells us is that Jesus Christ is the one who divides all of humanity. He is the one who divides all of humanity. What does it mean when we say that? Well, I mentioned this to you last week, that the gospel of Jesus is like a wedge that just moves across humanity. And as it does, when his gospel is proclaimed to men, women, boys, and girls everywhere, those, that group of people are divided into one of two groups. They are divided into those who humble themselves before him and believe in him and are saved. And, and then there are those who refuse to humble themselves and they refuse to believe and they will perish in their own sins. It is this division that Simeon is prophesying about. And then we know that, that Simeon's prophetic words ultimately did come true. At this particular point, the baby Jesus is only 40 days old. But Simeon foresaw the day some three decades later when Jesus would be nailed to a cross. And that would be the sword that would pierce Mary's soul. Despite her intense joy over the birth of her firstborn son, the day would come when she would suffer great grief and such anguish that it would strike her to the heart. And the scriptures tell us that when Jesus was crucified, Mary was there at the foot of the cross. And I can only imagine that Simeon's words from 30 years earlier just began to roll through her mind as she saw taking place right before her the very things that Simeon had prophesied about. And that is an important point not to be missed. You see, it is important that we understand that Jesus' death on the cross was not some catastrophic mistake. We must not calculate Christ's crucifixion as something that was not according to God's will. No, as, as we have mentioned repeatedly throughout this Christmas season, the message of Christmas is about the birth of Jesus, but the message cannot be fully appreciated apart from understanding the death of Jesus. As one writer has written, Simeon's prophecy shows that from the beginning, God had a mission for Jesus that required him to suffer and die for sinners. The crucifixion was not some surprising and unexpected development, but it was rather the fulfillment of a preordained plan. And the reason that Jesus had to suffer and die the way that he did is because, as the writer of Hebrews tells us in chapter 9, verse 22, that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. There is no forgiveness of sins. 
And furthermore, we understand that from what Scripture reveals that the only sacrifice able to atone for sins was a perfect sacrifice, a, a sinless sacrifice, a spotless sacrifice. And Jesus is the only one who ever lived a perfect, sinless, spotless life. And therefore, his life was sacrificed in the place of many so that those who believe in him, those who recognize their need of his grace, those who humble themselves before him can be saved from their sins. But according to Simeon's prophecy, not all will be saved from their sins because not all will humble themselves. In fact, Simeon tells Mary this child is destined for the fall and the rising of many in Israel. And for a sign that will be spoken against so that, he says, the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. That is what tells us that Jesus is the one who divides humanity. What Simeon says is that Jesus exposes what is really in our hearts. If we are truly humbled by our sin, then we will see our need for his grace and we will be drawn to Jesus and he, we will be caused to rise in his glory. But if we refuse to be humbled by our sin and instead we stand proudly thinking that we can make it to heaven on our own through our own good works and our own good deeds, then the claims of Christ are, and the necessity of the cross will appear foolish to us. In fact, those claims will be offensive Jesus will only get in our way. And as Simeon says, many will fall over him. They will trip over him because of their unbelief. And that explains why the world is so scandalized by Jesus. It explains why so many show contempt toward folks that are committed to following Christ and following the teachings of the Scripture. It explains why there's so much resistance to Christian truth. Christ reveals what is going on inside our hearts. And those who humble themselves before him, the Bible says, will rise. And conversely, those who in their pride attempt to remain upright will ultimately fall. And the implication of Simeon's prophecy and the implication of the revelation of Scripture is that you cannot remain neutral toward Jesus. He draws a line in the sand and he demands that you take sides. Either, either you acknowledge him as God's Christ and you submit your life and, and you, you, uh, to his absolute lordship and you rise in, in salvation or you think I'll do it my way and you will fall in judgment. And that begs the question, what is your response to Jesus? Are you for him or are you against him? Will you rise or will you fall? This is the great question of life and death because, because what God will do with us for all eternity depends on what we do with Jesus right now. He is the great divide. God uses his cross to reveal our hearts and our true character. There is no neutrality. Either we are with Jesus or we are against him and Christ will either be your savior or the Bible says he will be your judge. But I want you to know Christ offers hope. You see, Simeon's prophecy, though it pierced Mary's soul, though it predicted the rejection of Jesus, it actually was the greatest news of all because it tells us that Christ came to save sinners. He came to die so that we might live. and He came to show us how woefully inadequate we are and 
how incapable we are to save ourselves. So let me encourage you. I don't want you to trip over that, and I don't want you to sweep that away as just some religious mumbo-jumbo that the preacher seems to get up there and say an awful lot. Listen, realizing your inadequacies and realizing your sin and humbling yourself before Christ, that is the only way to rise. It is the only way to receive pardon. It is the only way to receive life. And in this passage, Simeon sings a song of salvation. And he tells us that Jesus is the glory of Israel. He tells us that he is the savior and light of the revelation to the whole world. And that he is the one over whom many will fall and many will rise. And therefore, he is the one who divides all of humanity. And that is then what leads me to my sermon in a sentence this morning. Which is a real statement about who Jesus is and the hope that we have. My sermon in a sentence this morning is this. As the long-awaited Messiah who was born to die, Jesus Christ is humanity's only hope for salvation. You know, here's the thing. I believe when Simeon took that Christ child up into his arms and he looked at him and he realized everything that he had hoped for had been fulfilled in that baby and would be fulfilled in the life and the death the resurrection of that child. He then said, Lord, I'm, I'm ready to go home now. I can die in peace. Here's what I want you to know. No one is ready to die until they can truly say that they have seen Jesus with eyes of faith. You are not ready to die until you have looked to Jesus in faith and truly known him and until you have trusted in him to be your savior. Here's the greatest news of all. Once you have seen him and once you have known him and once you have trusted in him, then death really is no longer an enemy to you. One has put it this way. It's true that you may live your life and you may come to the end of it not having been as successful as you wanted to be. And you may live in some frustration because you haven't accomplished all your personal goals. But if you can come to the end of your life and say, I have seen the Lord's Christ, then you have had a good life. But more importantly than that, if your faith is in Christ, you will have the most blessed eternity that could ever be offered to anyone. Is that your testimony today? Have you seen him? Do you know him? Have you trusted in him? Brothers and sisters, this is the word of God for the people of God. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you for your word. We thank you for what it teaches us about you and how it directs us to you. And how once again we see that you are our only hope. And you call us to faith. You call us to repentance. You call us to dependence upon you. We're thankful for that. We know that because of that, because of what you've done, we can truly one day stand before you, not not clothed in our own righteousness, not based upon our own deeds, not because of our own uh, merit in any way, but the only way that we will stand before you one day justified is because of what you have done for us. And you call us to humble ourselves before you. You are 
the true consolation of those of us who are lost and dead in our trespasses and sins. We have no other place to run to but to you. We see that once again from your holy word this morning. And it causes our hearts to brim up and to sing. And to be able to sing songs just like what we are going to sing now about you coming and being sin for us. You knew no sin and yet you became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God through you. And we're so grateful for that. And so, Lord, I pray that you would inhabit the praise of your people. And continue to help us to focus our attention on the one who came to die for us. This is my prayer. And I pray it in Christ's name. Amen.